Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Story Club. I did promise you that there was going to be some consistent episodes one week after the other, and here we are. So first things first, if you've made it to the end of the episodes, and if you've not, at the end I ask if you've enjoyed the episode to please leave a review. Now a friend who also podcasts recommended I mention that at the start. So if you're a regular listener, or this is your first time, and you really like the episode, whether it's on Spotify, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. It would be great to hear your feedback. And with that, for today's episode, I'm really, really excited to introduce you to Mike Omonie. Now, Mike is a lot of things, and if I pull directly from his website, it's summarized, I mean, he's so much more than the words, but a social entrepreneur, leader, builder, academic, commentator, artist, activist, and polymath. Um, I love listening to Mike speak from the moment I met him. With that said, let's go straight into the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of The Story Club. Today I'm sitting down with Mike Omenie, who you may have seen if you follow me on Instagram and some of my content before. (laughs) I've known Mike for about two years now. Going on three. Going on three, yeah, time's flown by. Uh, wee bit of backstory. I used to live in New York. My flatmate Leslie set up a, would you call it a charity? A good cause business called, yeah. called The Build, where they basically pulled groups of men together um, to just actually open up, talk about things the way guys don't really do. And um, Leslie, knowing I do video content, asked me to come. I took it. And Mike was one of the speakers there. Now, I can't go on about how... I, over time, I've also brought Mike over to be one of the partners of Slater's. As I've moved away from having us tied in with the fashion influencers, yeah. I've wanted us to partner with people who stand for something, who are aspirational in a way above and beyond fickle, vapid things. And Mike, without getting too sycophantic, <laughs> is probably one of the most intelligent people I've ever had the pleasure of getting to chat to. And um, we were just talking about kind of the political situation that's going on in the world right now. As you know, this podcast is about the person I'm talking to. Yeah. But Mike's views on a lot of subjects and topics are super interesting. So Mike, if you do want to say where people, you're doing a lot of podcasts and stuff, if people want to hear your views on that, can you just tell them where to go right now? Yeah, I mean, number one, very kind. Thank you so much um, for for that intro. Intros are always odd with podcasts because you have to kind of sit there and just go. (laughs) Yeah, you just have to take it. (laughs) If it's abuse, if it's positive, you don't know. And me being me, I want to correct you and say, well, actually not that much, whatever, because that's my nature. But no, you can just uh, follow the Common Sense Network, which is a news network I I look after. And and there'll be content there about what's happening, a breakdown of what's going on and just kind of maybe some information so people know how to support and how to uh, get involved. No, No Patreon, pages to support but but other other ways to support perfect right after that we break mike can you please give a quick introduction of yourself yeah anyone who may not know who you are okay um yeah so my name's mike um and you know walking in we were talking about how people have a narrative right and so the way i kind of squeeze all of mike into a sentence is i'm super passionate about you know justice um, you know, bending the levers of power towards justice. Um, and to that end, I do a bunch of things. I work with organizations to help them kind of think more clearly about justice, whether it's helping, you know, BME young people, you know, have more of a, a foothold in what the world looks like and shaping the world, whether it's bending resources uh, towards folks who are historically disenfranchised, you know, 
all sorts of stuff with different organizations. But I also look after my own organizations, which uh, again, do similar things, whether it's trying to right the wrongs as I see it in the mainstream media, or it's trying to help young uh, men reimagine masculinity, or it's, you know, um, I'm a Christian, so oftentimes, you know, we, we do lots of stuff on the streets, just kind of sharing the Christian faith and inviting folks to take part in that if they if they want to. Um, but, but the golden thread, which I've often spoken about, that holds all of that stuff together is just this notion of fairness, equality, justice. I, you know, I'm a stickler for just justice and, you know, it probably makes me annoying to some friends, but uh, I guess uh, makes me helpful to some organizations as well. Well, so some people would consider this quite serious, heavy stuff. How did yeah. you end up getting into this? Where did it all begin? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it does sound heavy and sounds kind of intellectual to personalize it a bit. I think it is just like most things when you're young or when, you, when you're kind of growing up, people just have different proclivities, right? So I, I was always, and my ex may, if she's listening, maybe <laughs> like, mm. I, I was, I'm always a kind of, there's two sides to a story. Maybe a guy who was sat on the fence to a certain degree, right? But I also I always was a bit kind of skeptical of of whatever people told me. I was I was always asking questions. That's the kind of person I've always been. A kind of like is that like the Myers Briggs debater type personality? Me, perhaps, perhaps. But for me, it was it, it, it was more. I, I actually I actually wasn't very um I wasn't very forthright when I was younger. Believe it or not, because um, I was. I came to this country when I was five. And so one of the first experiences I had actually when I moved here from Nigeria <clears throat> in secondary school, back when secondary school, I was actually bullied for a bit of time by a really tall girl <laughs> who used to laugh at my accent and would like, was pushing me on the floor and, you know, and, and so, and then there was one time too, where in year three, we were reading Artemis Fowl. I don't know if you remember that book. It's like a book that- I don't think we read it in my school, but the name rings a bell, yeah. but I couldn't tell you the story. But I, So I had to read it out and obviously I wasn't strong at reading. So when I started reading it, people started laughing. <laughs> it's right. really sad now, right? <laughs> but anyways, so all of that meant I was I was kind of in my shell a lot kind of um, growing up. I don't think I was kind of a, 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 a kind of passionate debate or anything like that, but I always had a sense of you know, um, loved questioning things, was kind of in my brain a lot thinking about things. And so I think slowly that grew to the sense of justice thing, right? But initially it was just, I was just someone who thought a lot and, and was always a bit skeptical, didn't really like people asserting power. I, I struggled with that, might be because of kind of what I, what I experienced growing up, but I don't like bullies, um, never really liked folks throwing their weight around. And and so when someone says like, this is this, I'm like, mm, what about, what about, I think if I'm honest, that's probably where it comes from. Yeah. Um, How long did it take you to get out of that shell? Because I imagine the lack of confidence from people laughing at your accent made you feel quite insecure and stuff. Oh yeah, big time. Um, uh, how long did it take me? I mean, have I gotten over it? How do you want to get? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This ends up becoming a therapy session, which is more than welcome to. Yeah, I mean, I would... to open up as much as you want. <laughs> no, I think what I did is I overcorrected by um, going into uh, focusing on sport. So growing up, I just found sport was my thing, like a chip in your shoulder, prove people wrong exactly. kind of thing. Okay, exactly. And also, it was like 
there was no talking in sport. You just you just get it done, right? So I I I just loved it for that reason. I, I was the fastest. I was kind of strongest. In in my head, it was like this is something I can dominate because okay. you know this has nothing to do with how you sound or where you're like, it's just about running or sprinting or whatever. So, so that's what I did. Actually, I just kind of focused on sports. So throughout secondary school, sport was life, man. I played everything um, at, at high levels. At, at low, just, I just played sport and I focused on that. Um, I became more confident about speaking in year 10 when uh, the teacher did this thing where there's something called the Jack Petty Speak Out Challenge. You may not know. Okay, no. it's fine. It's this national speaking contest, right? That this rich billionaire kind of set up. I think at the time he was a multi-millionaire. But anyways, they get all the talkative kids into the, a session, do like a bit of a workshop with them. And then, then if they're good, they go to the next stage and the next stage and then, you know, whatever. So I was selected to take part because... I was kind of tr a bit troublesome and had a bit of a witter about me in kind of okay. year nine. <clears throat> I joined this public speaking thing, a uh, session. And yeah, I, I sucked at it to be. <laughs> to, <laughs> you might be, you probably thought it was going the other way, but I- So they I, put you in because you were cheeky, but then when you were actually in the spot, uh, that confidence. No, 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 I sucked. I sucked. So I, I, did, a, I did a speech about uh, you're the pilot of your own life, right? And it was just terrible, right? And then what happened is the teacher or the the trainer pulled me to the side and she was like, I think there's like, there's more in you. Like you gotta, you gotta work a bit harder at it. So, you know, come back tomorrow and, you know, try again type of situation. So I came back, I, I did, I then did a speech about poverty, which I really care about. And then that did well. So I won that. Then I went to the uh, student assembly kind of stage. I won that. Then I did the Barra final. I won that. Um, that's also where I met my ex-girlfriend. Right. Then I did the national finals, which is, you know, I didn't win, but I did, you know, well. And um, I think that's when really, it, 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 I kind of think, I started thinking, oh, I, and I spoke to like in front of 3,000 people and I started thinking, okay, I can speak and I do have. So that, that lady was kind of really um, instrumental in helping me think about the fact that inside me was a thoughtful person that could connect my thought to words. And, and I just didn't think that was me before I went to that session. So I'm curious, cause you often have, I don't, I don't know if it's cause people get educated that way or they think they can only pick one. You had your sports side, the competing side where you were dominating and then the speaking came along. At any point, did you think I've got to pick one or were you like, I like these two paths. I'm going to try and nail them both. Yeah, it's it, this is a tough question, man. I get it all the time. There's an idea of like, how do you choose what to do when you've got like different passions, right? If I'm honest, looking back, I, I still can't find when I picked. I think it was, it was for some of them, my mum picked for me. <laughs> yeah, of course. So I think it got to a stage where, you know, pretty much when you finish secondary school, that's when you decide if you're going to take sports seriously or not. You know, whether you're going to go to like a sixth form or you're going to go to a college and kind of play sport all the time. And at that stage, I'm from a Nigerian family. So um, my choice was uh, was pre-selected. Uh, I was going to go to the sixth form and, and get some A-levels and put sport right, to okay, bed, so yeah, to speak. Yeah. So that's when I think I pretty much let some of those competitive and I and I really think I could have been very very good. I'm not. See, people say that all the time. Like I could have been great, but my knee. I'm being so serious. I really could have been. Oh, know, don't worry. We're going to get into your recent uh, tennis championship <laughs> down the line. So don't worry. You'll get a chance to flex so, those muscles. So so yeah, my mum picked for me. If I'm being honest, um, and um, 
My philosophy now, having thought about this deeply, is it's not my job to make my life kind of make sense in in you know and and to make it kind of line up neatly. I think where to follow what I would call godly impressions, where to follow um, our passions, uh, where to where to kind of look for clues and and um, and um, and um, uh, to explore our curiosity. And I think as we do that, you know, we come into contact with people who just help um, our lives kind of make sense to us. Mm. But I've let go of this trying to almost build my life looking forward thing of like, you know, in 12 years, I want to be able to say this. I don't do that. I kind of follow curiosity, follow passions, try to be smart with what I've got where I'm at. And when I look back, it often makes sense, or I can at least tell myself a story of how I knew what I was doing. But the truth of the matter is I don't. I'm just following kind of godly impressions about what I ought to do next. Well, it's funny you've said the word the words make sense a couple of times there. And you said, oh, originally I wasn't taking a bath. You know, I don't know what makes sense. Yeah. Who does? Like when you say what made sense, are you talking about what your mum's version <laughs> of what made sense was? No, do you know what I mean? That's like, true, if yeah. that's that's what was put on you right so what made sense was following that a-level path and stuff that's the one but what you're saying to me and probably others listening follow your passions follow what feels right follow what you're drawn to yeah that makes sense that, as well I, yeah yeah i mean i mean there's also like what makes sense conventionally right because if you tell somebody you know i'm a, I'm a professional sprinter but also i'm a chef and i sing on sundays they'll go are you crazy <laughs> that's what they would say they go why don't you pick one is what they would say, right? So, um, yeah, there's a lot of pressure to make your life make sense in the kind of most conventional way possible. Fit in the box of what people understand. Yeah, I just don't think, you know, I don't think we're we're made like that. I think there's so much more to us. Um, and um, don't get don't get me don't get the twist of that. I believe in kind of the power of momentum and compounding experiences and stuff like that. I do get it, but I do think people ought to explore for longer. I think the way our system set up where at 16, you pretty much need to kind of pick a pick a lane yeah. is unhelpful for human flourishing. You have a lot of medium tier managers and firms who would make amazing entrepreneurs or you may, you have a lot of people who are stuck in a classroom, for instance, because they thought it was a safe job, mm -hmm. who would make amazing, you know, NGO leaders or who would be great at going to a different part of the world, maybe the developing world and, and starting systems. That, there's a lot of people who don't get to explore enough because from 16, they're kind of thinking about paying the bills and, and what's going to pay the bills, what's going to look good to friends, what's going to look good to family. And it's a shame that that I think something like 60, some, I forgot the stat when I read it last, but 64%, I believe, of the workforce weren't happy with their job or something like that or, or recorded like non-satisfaction levels. That's a scarily high number. Yeah. And I think uh, we need to do something about that. Well, do you not think there's that cultural shift now where people are following their passions a wee bit more or taking on side hustles because they are realizing life's short. Yeah. I'm feeling unfilled. Entrepreneurship's obviously had its, uh, the hustle mentality has been really, really, you know, hammered at people now. And it's it's going through a moment where people are like, I want to start my own thing. I want to do this. And especially after the lockdowns when people had time to focus on yeah. passions whether that was being creative making bread or whatever everyone was getting into creating yeah. quizzes for friends do you feel that shift is kind of like exploding at this yeah, point? yeah i know yeah i mean undoubtedly more and more people have as we said side hustles they have a nine to five then they have a five to nine you know 
Um, I want to be careful though in the what I'm what I'm not saying is that you know we need more entrepreneurs per se. I think what we need to do is we need a, a stronger sense of contentment because once you once you once you're content, you're then able to explore. If the goal is contentment, then you actually have freedom to explore. But if you're trying to make as much money as possible, which is kind of subliminally what a lot of us are taught in this kind of capitalist system, that the more money you make, the better you're doing. People use money to track their career progression. Uh, at 35, you should be on this. You know, if you're on Twitter anyways, that seems to be the conversation. If you if you jump off that ship and just say, what do I need to be content? To, what's enough for me? Then you're actually free to explore. Um, and to maybe explore working in this sector or that sector or this sector. You know, a lot of smart people in university are just thinking the banking because they go, that's the only thing that's going to reward my intellect. Makes money like, fast. No, you could be a really smart teacher that's very adept at, you know, like I, like I said, that, that woman that helped me believe that I can actually speak, she changed my whole life. You know, a smart person could do that and teachers aren't paid the same as bankers, right? You know, there's a funny story that uh, I don't know who told me about two billionaires who shared a therapist, right? And, you know, they were always going to this therapist to kind of complain about each other. You know, one would buy maybe a big house and then would, would kind of go to the, th the other one would go to the therapist and go, who does he think he is? He just bought a new house, right? And, they would, and the other one would buy something else. And they're trying to outdo each other all the time. And one, one of the days the therapist is kind of looking at one of them and then she just chuckles and she goes, I have something you guys will never have. And obviously the, the billionaire is like, <laughs> what could you possibly have? Yeah. I could buy you 20 times over. Like, what could you possibly have that I don't have? And she said, I have enough. And, and I think in this culture, that's a message a lot of people need to hear that the, the, the goal is to have enough. Because there's a certain level where more money doesn't actually change your life in any meaningful way, if you can jump off that ship of more, 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 then you can be free to explore entrepreneurship or anything else. So it's that society has kind of taught everyone, if you've got a lot of money, that financial fulfillment, people believe it will fill the other voids, not yeah. realizing they could reach career fulfillment, spiritual fulfillment by actually following those paths because money doesn't lead to those. So it's different for everyone. But I liked what you were saying about once you feel content, you can focus on what really matters. How do you measure your contentment? Um, well, you know, I, I don't want to preach up in this room right now, but uh, for me, <laughs> you know, the, the way I define idolatry is when I say I will be happy when I have and I put something there, that's the thing I idolize. So if I'm unable to experience joy, uh, happiness, uh, fullness, fulfillment right now, but I'm making it, you know, hinging on or conditional on something I need to achieve, whether it's a place my business needs to get to or someone I need to impress. When I do that, I've got a problem. So I always ask myself that question. I mean, I remember saying it once to people and, you know, they were kind of like, I stopped sharing it after because I think people were like, a bit weird, mate. But I, I, I genuinely, there was a period in my life where I would go to bed asking myself the same question most evenings, which is, um, like, did I make the world kind of brighter today? I used to ask myself that. And then in the morning in bed, I would always, I was always, I would always ask myself, like, what was it? Um, uh, is it worth it? Everything I'm doing right now, do I think it's meaningful? Is it worth it? Now, those were my checkpoints growing up because I was really, there was a lot of things I could do. So I would always ask myself, is it worth it, the journey I'm on? These days, 
I, I asked myself that question of, is there anything in my head that I think would make me happy if I had? And if, if there is, if you no know, times where that's there, I think to myself, I need to work on eradicating that thing. I need to get rid of that. I need to, I need to kind of move away from that and just learn to be, um, learn to be still. That means taking time off just to kind of be by myself. I'm always thinking about and catching myself when I see my brain starting to wonder, you know, maybe I see, you know, someone's like, we just opened a new office. And I'm like, we need to open a new office. I'm like, oh, and I'm like, <laughs> You don't, you don't, we don't need any of that. You know, so how be happy where you are. that in the moment? What's your technique for pulling back and focusing, reflecting? Um, I wish I had like a three-tiered kind of process, right? Yeah. I, I, I just I just try and catch myself, man, when, when I see it happening. Sometimes I fail, to be quite frank, and you kind of end up looking at something longer than you should, thinking, oh, we need to do this, you know? Not too long ago, I was on Instagram looking at something and, I think there was a business that had opened up a big warehouse, right? And I was like, oh, nice to have a warehouse. But here's the thing. I don't even have any stock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But for some reason, I'm like, hmm. That looks nice. You know, I, I, you know? I'd like to flex that. And yeah, I, yeah. Wrote, I wrote about that once. And I said that <laughs> something we do on social media is we... And this is healthy, actually, for people to hear, I think. Because we... Okay, so if you have something nice and you show on social media you think people look at it and like are impressed by you, but they're not. They look at it and they want that thing. <laughs> so they they move you out the way and they imagine themselves in the Ferrari, right? Because they, they, they're going, I would look good in that. They don't go, oh, Mike is so cool because he has that. They're, no, they're thinking about themselves, right? But on the other side, that's something we do that's also quite unhealthy is that we center ourselves in other people's stories. So that lady or that man that shared that I've got a new warehouse, a healthy engagement might be, oh my God, so happy for her. That's amazing. Like, good, good, good job. But I thought, looked at that and read it through the lens of, I don't have a warehouse and I should have a warehouse and why don't I have a warehouse? And and so I was kind of centering myself in that story when it, it had nothing to do with me. It's just someone sharing a good moment in their life, right? So honestly, I just try and catch myself as much as I can. Um, I don't really, uh, and this might be a bit extreme for some people, but I, I very seldom browse on kind of Instagram and stuff like that. I, I, I just, I just try to stay away from browsing because sure. I, I don't really derive any value from it. If I'm honest, I, I mean, we're talking about before. I like long form content. I like podcasts and conversations, you know, video podcasts. I don't like audio podcasts. Uh, sorry if you're listening to this. <laughs> I just find it weird. Like why are you only listening to something when you can have wonderful production, but away from that. Yeah, browsing is not for me, so I tend not to do it. Um, yeah. That helps sometimes, I think. Yeah, you like to deep dive. So I'm actually going to take us back yeah. because I liked every topic we covered there, but I still want people <laughs> to know about yourself. Yeah. So the speaking took off. Where did that? So school finished. Where were you? What was going on? Where did your path lead? Yeah. So um, speaking took off. Um, I then ended up full circle moment, right? I ended up becoming a judge for the grand final. So this is the big national final. They invited me back to judge and it was kind of like crazy because- Was this final year of school? Was this- No, no, no. So this was, okay. So you, if, if you want to do it chronologically, when I finished school, um, so I then became a UK young ambassador to the European Union. Before that, I was a member of youth parliament. Then I was a young mayor of the of, of my borough. Then I started working with the cabinet office and- So that, so how did speaking turn into- Oh, I just this? became super confident. 
Right, okay. You know, I just... But uh, you wanted to make a difference? What, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, so... Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that... Okay, cool. That's a good question. So that was all there as well. You know, you know, I've always been fascinated by kind of changing things, just kind of the sense of justice. I joined the school council very young. I was part of the local council and just wanted to make my area better. Uh, this is Greenwich, now Royal Greenwich, actually, um, which happened whilst I was a member of youth parliament. So um, we became a royal borough. Anyways, so like... If not for the speaking, I probably would have stayed in some of these councils and just helped out where I could. But now because of speaking, I would confidently kind of say, I want to I want to lead or I want to do this. So funny story. Again, I really haven't told this ever. Um, so I, I was a member of Greenwich Young People's Council. And just to give you a sense of what these kind of people do, we kind of uh, represent young people in the borough in terms of how we want the borough to look. So, you know, I grew up in Woolwich and all that kind of, so redeveloping that whole area, we had a say in how it looked and stuff like that. So out of the borough, out of the youth council, two people got to be members of youth parliament and they had to be voted for by the council. So a friend of mine, David Hall, who's an amazing guy, he stands up, he speaks confidently, they vote him in. There's one more space and I say, can I do it? You know, with the confidence from the speaker, I'm like, I wanna do it, right? Then I determined to speak, and guess what happens? I fluff my speech, and I, um, I, uh, they were like, it was a tie between me and someone else. So they were like, we'll do it again tomorrow. What was it? Was it the pressure at the it time? Was like, I, I think I was still kind of, I was, I was still a bit kind of like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I don't yeah, know if I'm ready for all that. Yeah, I was just, I, I just, it was just pressure. I think probably the best way to put it right. I come out the next day. <laughs> I haven't thought about this in so long. And I do this and I rehearse like a crazy person at home. I was there in front of the mirror like, and I channeling my inner Barack Obama, whatever it was. I came <laughs> came the next day, I spoke and everyone's like, oh, that, this, he's much clearer now kind of thing, right? Yeah. We get what he's saying. So I, I then became the, the member of youth parliament for, for, um, for, uh, for Greenwich. And then, yeah, from there, just did other things and I became more and more confident, traveled to lots of countries in Europe, re representing the UK. How was, how was your experience in the political spectrum of things? Because people go in yeah. bright-eyed, wanting to make a difference, super excited, and then all the red tape and politics and politics kind of yeah. breaks down. How was that? Well, you get two types of people in politics, I think. You get folks who generally come from like, you know, the community, so to speak, right? You know, folks who didn't have much, folks who always wanted something and they go in and, and they've got this kind of righteous course, but they're very inflexible. And for the most part, they get nothing done. They're kind of there, they represent and so on and so forth. Dig their heels in, I'm right. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, um, and I think that's where I was at for a long time. So I, I was just kind of always shouting. I, I noticed I was always shouting about like, we need to change the system. We need to, and I was like, but nothing's actually changing, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I think I became the other type, which I don't want to say is the better type. I think you just get to decide what you want to do, which is kind of let's build bridges. Let's be pragmatic. Let's realize that black people make up three point something percent of the population. So we're never gonna flip the system in a radical, that's not gonna happen, right? This country is, is majority white and the institutions are majority white. So the question becomes, how do we bridge a gap, achieve meaningful change, make lives better for as many people as we possibly can and go home, right? Essentially at the end of the day, like be like, did a good job, went, go home. Uh, and, and, I, and I think that's what I became. So I was very pragmatic and I was always too left for the right wing people and too right for the left wing people. Um, 
you know, people hate the middle these days in politics. You have to choose a side. It's right? odd because most people are in the middle, right? Yeah, yeah I am. 100%, yeah. I think what it is is folks, the left put me off the right. The extreme left put me off the right, and the extreme right put me off the left. Exactly, put me off them. And most people are there, but the issue now with social media is folks on the extreme, because social media rewards folks who are extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, have a lot more say than they probably should but also they're able to amplify their voice so they sound that, that they're more in number than they actually are. I mean, take a look at the last general election, right? Where we're like, oh, Jeremy Corbyn. If you went on social media, you would have thought Jeremy Corbyn was Jesus part two, right? Yeah. He he was there getting a trim. Everyone's like, oh, I love your trim, Jeremy. You know, he's there at Glastonbury. Everyone's like, Jeremy. Yeah, yeah. He got the biggest defeat since 1973. L- literally, the, the whole country universally said no. So you gotta, you gotta go, where are all the people who are singing? And it's like, there weren't that many, but social media makes and amplifies their voices. Well, they're the loudest voices. That's when when most people are actually in the middle, most people are kind of, you know, bad. and even black people, this might, this might, black people are naturally conservative. If you go back into, go back to kind of some of the African countries, they're conservative governments. You know, we're, we're very conservative people, but we come here and on social media, we kind of project to be liberals. But the truth is we're, very fiscally conservative, very socially conservative, um, and very kind of, you know, in the middle <laughs> for the most part. But hey. So because my knowledge is so base level and definitely headlines like sadly a lot of millennials, this is my own curiosity asking, and this is maybe going to get a bit too political for some people. How does that match up with conservatives and, you know, the Windrush generation and all yeah. that? How can that how has how, how that not turned more people to Labour? It's like you said, you know, a lot of like black people are conservative. Yeah. So what's the conflict there or? So to be clear, what's the conflict with Windrush specifically? Well, yeah, because it was, it was the Conservative Party, right? It yeah, was yeah, yeah. those kind of like views. And I remember somebody shared a meme. I hate sounding like I get all my news from social media. I work in it. <laughs> this is not my fault. It's my job. This is a coincidence. Uh, I know. I just sound like one of those people. But it was like, um, it was showing like old Tory propaganda and it was something along the lines of, oh, if you uh, appreciate having your black neighbour, vote Labour. If you've got one already and you've had enough, vote Conservative. And that, yeah, and it was a real thing. I looked into it. Mm. And it's just, it's that ideology matching up with a party that has not acted or behaved in an appropriate yeah. way to that. So no, I, I, I mean, this is what I th- this is why I think a lot of people check out politics because they just say, I mean, you probably heard that same before. It's the same men in different suits, right? It's the same people in different suits. I should probably say same women because as of the last election, we had a record number. I mean, we had more than 37% of, of uh, parliament become uh, female. So, you know, things are a lot more balanced than they used to be. I mean, the previous, the two elections ago was 19% of the, of the parliament that were women. So we're getting kind of great equality. Um, it's it's hard, man, because you get good leaders, you get bad leaders, you get good parties, you get bad parties. Um, you know, a lot of black people had a strong affinity with Tony Blair because of immigration policies. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of, uh, I mean, I know I benefited from the immigration policy uh, under New Labour because my mum, who was working in the NHS, could bring the whole family here by okay. virtue of her working in the NHS. They literally stopped that like two months after I got here. <laughs> Oh wow! Which is not good, but I'm like, whoa, yeah. that was closely the kind of thing, right? Um, but the current Labour Party, do I think it's the, it's the Labour Party of old? No, I mean, I mean, I mean, 
look at the way Keir Starmer, for the most part, handled Black Lives Matter. Some of the nonsense he was saying. I mean, look at what the you know shadow uh, shadow leader Angela Rayner said about you know terrorists. She was like, shoot first, ask questions later. And it's like, this is just kind of a very different Labour Party. And I can go back to the Conservatives too and say Conservatives under this person was terrible and that that person was a bit better. I do not know. I think for me, we've got to de-footballize politics. And that means, you know, I've been a Labour voter all my life. We got to stop that and just kind of assess people based on merits, right? But also ask yourself what what kind of Britain you want to live in. And then, you know, assess what people are saying and go, okay, I, I'm going to go this way. And and less of the kind of identity politics things of I'm black, I vote Labour, I'm white, I vote Conservative, I'm a free thinker. So I vote. All that stuff is lazy yeah. for the most part. Um, I think people need to, you know, they, they need to make their, up their own minds. That's the benefit of living in a democracy. And they need to hold every party to account. Once once one party knows they will enjoy unconditional support from you, they take you for granted. We've seen that. Um, and so you know, I would love if every election, every party thought, oh gosh, we have to work hard because we know that every vote is game rather than, ah, the blacks will vote for us. Oh, the Asians will vote for us. Oh, the whites will vote for us. It makes lazy politicians. Yeah, I heard a soundbite again the other day Somebody saying people should be more politically promiscuous. <laughs> I like pro- that. That's probably fair, right? <laughs> people should feel they can bounce around based on what is right to them at the time. That's the only promiscuity I endorse. Yes, no, no, that's, that's <laughs> fair, that's fair, that's fair. <laughs> so, Mike, you stepped into the political sphere and that obviously yeah. massively shaped who you are. So after being on the youth councils and stuff, is this when we started getting into you being like, right, I'm going to start my own news network. I don't want to dictate your path but you tell yeah, me. yeah yeah no i mean you're right you're right um it was after doing that i realized so i've had a girl getting stuck in and that's still a a, a kind of a, a pathway open to me you know i'm still a member of a party i can still get involved i can probably stand at some at some stage if i want to and kind of do that but i also fancied myself kind of a systems builder so I was like, okay, well, let me try and just build my own systems and see how that goes. And so got fed up with the media, thought I'd build a media system, really interested in empowering individuals. So, you know, building systems around that, how to empower individuals. Was there a breaking point where you, did you just see a news story and you're like, this is garbage, I need to start mine? Well, it was, it was one of those slow burners, man, where like over, I just kept on seeing headlines and weird things in the Daily Mail. Yeah. You know, what I, year was this? This was probably around 2017. Okay. okay. Right. So I was finishing my master's and, you know, it's one of those things where like someone would die, a black person would die and they'll, they'll pop a picture of Stormzy and be like, oh, so sad he's dead. And you're like, what? what? No, that's not him. <laughs> but you're just the kind of laziness from the Daily Mail, laziness from party, from, from some political parties as well. And, and the media class, just, just lazy. Mm. Why are they lazy? Well, 0.2% of journalists in the UK are black. There's literally none of us, right, in, in these newsrooms. So I thought, okay, let me start something. So I started in the, the Common Sense Network. And um, yeah, just, just it's been really interesting. You know, three years of real, real hustle and kind of trying to kind of understand how these systems work and how to build them. And I have people who are like, yeah, you could do it. People well, are like, so what, what exactly is the Common Sense Network? Uh, so it's an independent news network. Um, and the whole point of it is to bring people from different sides of the political spectrum together um, in an attempt to learn from each other. So Isn't that what all media <laughs> and, and news channels 
do. For anyone <laughs> not watching, I did the semicolon sarcasm. Uh, is that what they all, they all do? Um, no, I, I think a lot of a lot of uh, news outlets are very brazen now with kind of like you could you just picking know sides. like picking a yeah, side because yeah. they just know like listen. The, the Daily Mail know their audience and and they know what their audience likes. And there's people who read it every single day. Yeah. And it's just like, they, they, they've been training their audience to think a certain way for years. Well, a blatant example, which doesn't um, make us exclude any of the UK audience over in America, yeah. CNN, obviously. Of course. Totally left. Yeah, Fox yeah. News. Totally right. Yeah, I, 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 I would probably even say MSNBC is the, is the more kind of totally left. Right. One. Okay. I think CNN attempt to be in the middle, and there are times where they they put out program and they're like, oh, look at that is balanced. But you are right in that they definitely lean left. But MSNBC is unap- unapologetic okay. about kind of like yo. So I would say that that's the that's the kind of comparison MSNBC and Fox. I mean Fox News is. <laughs> I mean. Honestly, I have to squint to call it news and kind of go, mm, yeah. It's just, I mean, maybe I'm partisan here. Some might say, but this is propaganda. I mean, oh, Tucker Carlson <laughs> is wild. It's just, it's just propaganda. Yeah, but um, yeah, no, I just thought I would, yeah, try and start a common sense network, and and yeah, I mean, been growing, got a good audience, um, which is interesting, right? Because I remember when I was younger, I was like, we need like a neutral news network where you just get the facts and stuff, but. And then I looked into it. People had tried it. People had tried to give yeah. here's things, but it never took off because people are emotionally dead. People want extremes. Yeah. So can you tell me more about your experience with Well, it's yeah, I mean, you're right, mate. Um, I used to have Afro before we started uh, the Commons Network. I've lost most of it because it is so hard to do both sides, fairness, nuance, because that's just not how people consume news Mm -hmm. and at the start there was a lot of buzz because with any new thing people are always like oh yeah so we raised over fifty thousand pounds in 50 days to get started on kickstarter right success you know news channels covering us like is this the next big thing and we're like i didn't know you started on kickstarter yeah yeah, kickstarter you can can still see the the campaign on there for those who don't know kickstarter is a crowdfunding platform where you propose your business or software or product or whatever and anyone who likes the idea of it can invest in it, and they get certain yeah perks, bonuses, t-shirts, and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. so forth. Yeah, it, I mean, it was it was really interesting because for me, I just thought that was a good way to start. You know, is to kind of almost get proof because the pr- proof of concept is always like the big big issue of startups is like how do anyone wants it? Well, we we're like we literally started with five hundred people saying that we're, we're willing to. Yeah, you, you almost had a, an audience. That's the one. Yeah. So um yeah no anyway so so we started that way and and um yeah a lot of buzz at the start and then you know, lots of just engagement, just, you know, people are excited about a new thing. And then when you get to the business of actually, let's roll our sleeves up and let's let's get to it. One, it's very expensive. Two, people have, are so used to consuming news one way. Mm-hmm. To try and shift that drastically is like generally pushing water uphill. Yeah, you're literally trying yeah, to change it, culture. It, yeah, it's hard. And so I realized, okay, cool, this is a long-term thing. Now me, short-term systems changer, wasn't prepared for that kind of long-term fight. And I think I've had to be punched a couple of times to go, okay, so this is like a 10-year journey. Right. You know, I need to find other ways to to make money and find other ways to kind of make the business profitable because- Did, did you ever think about giving up? <laughs> <laughs> it might be easier, wow. Johnny, to ask 
<laughs> what's kept you going? <laughs> no, no. I, did I ever think about carrying on? Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, it's well, so, so we're, we're five years in since. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're, so we're technically five years in, in terms of when we started, but in terms of the news outfit and it being consolidated, it's about three years. The first two years, we were just kind of doing, a, like, doing the events all over across the country, mm-hmm. debates, whatever it is. The news outfit really is about three years old. And, um, yeah, you know, many, many times thought about kind of giving up um, because, yeah, it, it, it it's very hard. I, I think that's what I, and for me, I love problems. I think I said it before, I love difficult problems. That's kind of my interest. Just as what's the hard part, keeping it running, pulling in an audience. Um, I think it's more trying to do news in a way, it's like medicine, What what we do, the truth about it is it's basically like medicine. Nobody likes medicine, but but it's good for you, mm-hmm. right? But no one goes, I can't wait to have a, a, a spoonful of medicine. And nobody likes being told what's good for them. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, so it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you would benefit from hearing different perspectives, right? If you had an argument going on and you walked in, any rational person would go, what happened? And I would speak to the other person, what happened? They wouldn't go, you, what happened? All right, cool. Everyone, you'd be like, whoa, 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 hold on. So so that's the assumption we're going on is that people need to have both sides, that it's good for democracy. Mm. It's what deliberative democracy, democracy is all about. But making a business case for that and doing it in a way that's kind of succinct and, and you know, on a shoestring budget, <laughs> it's like the perfect myriad of problems. Um, but for me, it's still meaningful a challenge. And obviously, you know, we still make money. So we're able to kind of keep going. But I do, I do ask that question all the time of, you know, how, how much longer, but also what does success look like? We've had to change that a couple of times. There was a time where we were like, we want to be just like the BBC and really massive and really big. And we're like, ah, okay, maybe that's not what we want. Maybe we want something more smaller that's more kind of niche. Maybe we want to set the, the tone for what niche should look like. Maybe mm-hmm. we want to serve a very small community and, and really help them with public interest news. You know, we've had to really constantly rethink what success looks like. Where's that now? Um, well, for us now, we're, we're really passionate about creating spaces where people who disagree can come together. So that's online, you know, so we write articles every day and, and kind of say, you know, here's one issue a day. Here are two perspectives on it. What do you guys think? Um, sometimes we'll do events and stuff like that, but also we've built something called Common Sense Plus, which is now a research and marketing agency. So we're helping you know, businesses think about echo chambers in a kind of, in a helpful way where, you know, convening focus groups where we're, we're doing. So it's almost like that bending the levers of power thing. It's like, rather than trying to go ahead and change the, the darn thing ourselves, we're saying to businesses, why don't we help you use your resources to upskill people in digital literacy so they know how to avoid echo chambers, you know, kind of just really having to kind of think about a different way to get to our goal that doesn't involve us getting a load of money and doing it ourselves. Well, you're reaching, I mean, it's perfect timing for you, right? Because yeah. we're reaching peak frustration and awareness of echo chambers, the impacts it's have, the one. having. So you guys, you're going to businesses and they actually must already have awareness of what you're trying to yeah, help educate yeah. them on. Yeah, and we've, no, we've got some clients already. I, I actually haven't publicly launched the business yet. We've just kind of been doing it. You know, we've, we're servicing three clients right now and we haven't. So is this an arm of? The it'll be an arm of Common Sense Network. Yes, Common Sense Plus. And, and what, what we found is that will be probably what's most immediately short-term and medium-term profitable. 
still allows us to deliver on on the overall goal and allows us to keep kind of creating content that's meaningful okay. without the desperate need to kind of pick, get our audience paying, right? And that came out of just really thinking how, because a, a thing about startups, I think, you know, I'm, I'm no sage, but I will say uh, startups or business folks have to be inflexible about the go. I think you should be very kind of inflexible about the go, but you have to be ultimately flexible about the process and how you get there. Because the truth of the matter is, I'm only doing this because of the go. I mean, what the heck? Why I can go work on some random bank, as we said at the start, right? Yeah. And make some money and be happy with me and my family. So the go, I want to see that go where people, you know, aren't being spun, you know, aren't being recruited into weird groups and terrorism isn't happening all the time because folks are being, you know, radicalized online. Mm. But how we get there, we might actually have to pull some businesses along with us, pull some brands along with us, work with all these different organizations to use their resources to make that get, rather than us in a silo going, we're just going to do this ourselves, we're going to change the world. It's like, oh, you need to, you need other people on that journey with you. So I'm glad the pivot happened or the extension or development, however you want to think about it. Um, it's made me more confident. It's meant, it's, it's left less sleepless nights and more kind of like, okay, I can see this working. I can yeah. see how we can achieve this goal now. You know, where before, I, you know, I was struggling to see it. You know, when you see when the thing's getting shrinking, you're like, Ugh. that was where I was, I would say, maybe two years ago. Well, so it's a lot of big ideas. And when we were walking here, we were talking about how it is getting more successful. You're getting more investment. But for a while, you were holding on to all yourself. You were finding it quite hard to let some of the responsibilities go. Yeah. And I think that could be... That's quite an interesting process, learning to trust people, finding people with the same, again, not in an echo chamber way, yeah. but with, who want to work towards that goal. Can you tell me a bit about that journey, how you learned to let go yeah. and the phrase you used earlier as well? There's working on the business and working in the business. Yeah, I mean, that that is the kind of ultimate personal development goal or issue with leaders, right, is... Leaders, leaders always talk about, oh, I just wish I could create three more of myself, you know, and the business would be where it needs to be. And it's like, nah, <laughs> what you need to do is first recognize the, uh, uh, um, the benefit of having different types of thinkers, people of different lived experiences, like genuine diversity on your team. It's just, it's just a priori, a good thing, right? Um, and then realize that you as the kind of, founder who has a kind of vision for the business and you're kind of like, I can see something that people can't see. I'm a prophet. I can see this future and no one can see it. That's all good. You cannot do that by yourself. It's just impossible. You've got to rally people around the cause. But also if you spend all your time- Sorry, Mike. I think we'll pause for one second. Okay. Uh, for anyone listening, there is a bin moving outside the studio. So we'll just take We're in a London. casual pause. <laughs> This is this is this is uh this is London for you, right? I'm amazed we got so much peace and quiet before. That's quite interesting. Does does that happen often, or is is it sp specific days they collect? Right, I imagine. Ah, sorry, I forgot what I was saying. That's fine. No, it sounds like it was over. It was talking about your team pulling in your team and people who work <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. towards the goal, but yeah. from different areas of got work. it. Yeah. So so if if you are a kind of just kind of messianic prophet like founder, you can see a vision in the future that people can't see yet. Um. 
to do that, you have to be able to straddle, as we said, working in the business. So doing the day-to-day -day logistical, running the business. And you know, and, and most times if you're a startup, you've got way more things to do than you have people to do them, right? So, so that's a whole thing. But if you don't sufficiently work on the business, the thing doesn't grow, the thing doesn't, you know, you're not stripping off the fat, you're not getting leaner, you're not getting, you know, uh, stronger, so to speak, and so. What do you define as working on the business? So people. So for me, that's kind of strategy. That's um, thinking about what's working, reviewing the previous quarters, thinking at least you know three quarters ahead, and not just kind of this week these to-do lists, these tasks, we are going, hold on a minute, where are we actually going? How is this making sense? Are we staying true to the mission? Um, is there a sales funnel that makes sense? You know, does the, does the cash flow make sense? You know, you're doing all these, you're, you're thinking about how the whole thing's coming together. Um, you know, you're thinking about culture, developing, you know, uh, your staff, are they happy? All these other things are what a lot of large businesses benefit from because there's people who do that full time. Yeah. But when you're a startup, you can focus so much on doing things that you re you forget that the direction of travel is actually way more important than how fast you're moving, right? So let's say I was rushing towards this kind of small news outlet that was creating content where we may never make any money, you know. But whereas now the, the, I'm way more cognizant of the direction of the business, and so I'm a bit more, you know, sane yeah. <laughs> in that I can go. I see this working, but I also see this working. And I have a, a more bird's eye view of what's happening. And I think founders just need that. And sometimes it's a luxury because you're just so focused on staying alive or making enough money to just get through another month, maybe paying, you know, maybe the first few employees you have, you're just like, I just need to make money. I just need to make money. And it's like, yeah, but that goal isn't going to get there by you just kind of head down working. You need to look up and see where you're actually going. Well, how did you learn to give away control? Was it just necessity or you finally took a step you see, back? You're, you're speaking in past tense, Johnny. I, I <laughs> <laughs> how, how is the process <laughs> and the journey of giving up that? Well, your new starts don't yeah, start yeah, till yeah, next yeah. week. So yeah, I guess yeah, yeah. it's I'm, only just about I'm to happen. Still I'm still learning. I'm still learning, man. It's hard, man. Because I, I, I'm just a doer. I've always been a kind of, I just do it. Yeah. I remember when I first was started and I was asking someone how much a website would cost and they said like 4K. And I just thought to myself, I'll do it myself. <laughs> did <laughs> right? you do it yourself? I did. Uh, YouTube videos? I, YouTube stuff? videos, yeah, calling yeah. friends. Um, we did actually pay someone to help us in the end, but I was on the shoulder just watching everything he was doing. And now, you know, I can build a site from zero to, to a full functioning site by myself, right? Um, and so, and that and that goes for all sorts. Editing. Before, before all of this, I didn't know how cameras work. Now I'm like a camera nerd, right? I'm there like, oh, this one is better than this one because of this spec. And, and and so it's very hard when you've got that kind of, I, I'll do it myself attitude. But um, on a, I don't want to get all spiritual on us, but on a spiritual level, I think there is a sense that uh, in which, you know, founders at some stage as well have to recognize when, when they're in a different space. And sometimes if you're in a different season, but your mind is still in the previous season, you can actually rob yourself of the benefits the, the, of that new season you're in. So I've worked like a Hebrew slave building Solomon's temple for a long time. Um, we are no longer in that kind of fight for survival kind of space. Yeah. I need to recognize that and start to occupy and think clearly about the new season we're in, which is one of processes. We're developing HR processes. We're developing, you know, all these kind of new, that's where we're at now. And so I got to you know, drag my head out of that old, old season and say, okay, the new season we're in now is one where I have a brief 
It's not like I do everything. Yeah. I have a brief. Do you have a mentor? Anyone who's oh, helping yeah. oh, you gosh. implement the look stuff? At, look how much of a mess I am. Videoing it. Look how much of a mess I am. I have, I have so many mentors. <laughs> good. Oh, that's good. I don't know what, because- I, yeah, I need a lot of them. But, but again, it's, I wondered if the you liking to do things came yeah. from a, I'm self-educating so I can, I'm self-educating an HR process. I'm self-educating this. So I know I did it, but you are deferring to others for- yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I have a bunch of mentors. I try not to kind of name them because it all gets so No, no, that's weird. fair. That's, but but um, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, folks in businesses, folks who in parliament even, and folks who are editors and stuff like that. And th they've been instrumental because, um, I mean, common sense we've spoken about today, but I look after four organizations that are similar sizes. So all, all of them come with their unique problems, unique challenges, um, and, um, yeah, like I need help to be quite frank. Cause I, you know, another thing as well is- How long did it take you to admit that to yourself? Cause I need help. Yeah. But I've always known it. Okay, you've known it. Okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause some people would, yeah, again, yeah, like yeah. I said, just want to do it all themselves. Yeah, you, honestly, I'm probably the other way in that I, one of my biggest issues and like the common sense boards, one of the things that always kind of think about, I spend some, as a natural researcher and thinker and whatever, I spend so much time thinking that they're like just, Make a decision to move. So we're talking about the good place. I I kind of kind of was like chili. Not not yeah. not, not not all the way. I wasn't this is all, a TV show on Netflix. For I wasn't all the way chilified, but I was kind of like chili in that you know I'm just always like oh what, what and they were like just just move, get on get okay. on with it. So I think that's kind of more my disposition. Overthinking, overthinking, and kind of you know I, I remember I was we were in the meeting once and I was talking about you know this new thing we're starting like what business structure it should be should it be a charity or LTD and they're like you haven't got any clients yet, mate. Like go get the clients. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one step at a time. You know, let the clients dictate what you need to be, right? But go and actually sell rather than, and I was sat there like, but there's the benefits of it being this and, and this we can exploit this. And, and they're like, just, just, just stop. We can talk about this later. You need to go and sell. You've got three months, next quarterly meeting, come back to us and tell us the, the new clients you've brought on board, not debating a, a kind of nebulous concept that's kind of not even Irrelevant needed right, right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they helped me with that and, um, and um, in terms of when I knew I needed help, like I said, yeah, I've always known because again, I, I don't think I'm a natural entrepreneur. I don't think so at all. It's funny because I've gotten so many of these talks I've done and like entrepreneurs and I've won all these awards or whatever. I'm not an entrepreneur. Do you think I'm that's honest. a bit of imposter syndrome or is it something you really, you think you know? I, I don't think I'm a, I don't think I'm a natural entrepreneur. I, I, I am one, but that's what I do now. And I think yeah. I'm decent at it, right? But, uh, but um, I'm a natural project manager. I'm a natural researcher. Um, th that's what. That's where I feel like I'm in my zone is when I'm kind of managing a project. Clear end date, clear start date, clear deliverables, clear team. Let's 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 get it done. I'm the, I that that's me. You know, I, I I love that. I loved event planning when I was younger. All that kind of like yeah, yeah. love that. Uh, there's a problem. I need to consume a lot of information and come up with some solutions. Leave me alone, I get it done, kind of thing. But uh, some all the other things of business sometimes was a bit kind of like. <laughs> I like the literal, the, the physical scratch of your yeah, head. Yeah, you should be calling friends like, uh, so um, so how do I, yes, no, how do you do that? Because it, it doesn't come that, put it this way, every entrepreneur used to sell biscuits, right, in school. Never sold anything. 
I never saw anything in school. I just you never had a school tuck shop nope. forced on you. Nothing at all. You I just didn't understand the reason. I just, I just, I mean, I used to buy it, and I, I'd always haggle for a good deal. Oh, well, but you had the negotiation <laughs> so, skills. Some business that. I was there. Yeah, but, but I, I was just, I just, you know, just played sport. Like I didn't really care about all that kind of business stuff, you know. Um, and even when friends told me I'm making bare money, I'd be like, um. I, I'm just never motivated by all that stuff. So yeah. that's why I say I'm not natural. I have a friend who is well, an entrepreneur. He's I think that's been clear from the start of the episode though, when we were talking about there's the financial goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you clearly, it wasn't the money that made you do it <laughs> nah. from day one. So I have, a friend who, I have a friend who's a very, I mean, he's one of those guys who every few months is like a new idea that he's trying to exploit or he thinks like there's a market for something and you can just tell like there's a buzz in his eye when he thinks there's a there's a market for something does he execute on them all though or? sometimes so okay. sometimes does it but like he'll start a business and it doesn't work for like eight months he'll close it down but like, okay cool we'll try again something else i'm just like oh gosh you know whereas for me the first thing i started i'm still, <laughs> I'm still doing it <laughs> so and I, probably some people are screaming at me let it go but uh yeah the, the, yeah but it's not, good you didn't because you're at well, yeah. Point. yeah, yeah. I shouldn't be too negative. Things are good. Well, so where are things now, Mike? What's the plan? Where are things yeah. going? The world, in theory, knocking on wood, <laughs> is finally opened back up so you can action all the ideas you had yeah. locked down to plan on. What's the, where are you going? Well, there's actually quite a lot of different possibilities right now that I'm trying to straddle. It's a very difficult time because um, post lockdown, we did okay. Well, well, I should say, to be quite frank, we did well post lockdown. But the but it's funny because even success leads to kind of some interesting problems, right? So one of the problems now is, you know, do we open an office or do we keep working at home? Because we want to really nurse culture and we're looking to employ some like kind of graduates. And so for them, it probably would be very important to be together and really try and build you know, rally around a vision or a mission. Mm -hmm. If that happens, then everything changes in terms of my living situation, for instance, right? This might be too much information, but I'll, no, I'll, I work from in. home, I have a home office, but it's like, I don't need that anymore. So do I need to move out and go to somewhere else? And then it's like, okay, cool, do we, what if I, there's just so many kind of things Parks, I've got, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to work out in my head. Um, But like I told a friend two days ago when we we're talking, FaceTiming us, it's a good problem to have. These are good problems. We're trying to think, you know, best way to nurse culture. Um, we have a clear model that works now that I can say we've brought four clients over the line on this model. It works. Let's control C, control V this model. Mm. We want to create some interesting content, you know, kind of common sense wise. We've got a filming day tomorrow and, and more filming days where we're creating interesting content that I hope the public will enjoy and like. And and so business-wise, things are going well. I'm, as people have remarked, taking more time to explore passions, balance. You know, I'm competing again, which I think, I think I always need to be competing sports-wise mm. because it just, it knocks the edge off me. Sometimes I'm a bit kind of edgy when I'm not kind of throwing something at a wall or, right. you know, or just punching something. So sport is, is really, I think, just the fact I'm playing sport again, competitive sport, has just kind of balanced me in a way that I, I feel sharp. Okay, you know, kind of on top okay, of things, yeah, yeah. not slothful and sad and things like forcing yourself yeah, to do some well, content. To wake yeah. up, you know, I'm kind of like, let's go. Okay, what's, what's happening today? You know, I message my team. What's what's going on today? You know, I'm a bit more kind of like, I think friends can notice as well that I'm a bit more. Hey guys, what's up? Yeah. Whoa, and they're like, oh, this is good. Bouncing your this set, Mike's back. For, for one of a better term. So. Yeah, that, that, that's it. You know, we're, we're going to do well this year. I think we'll do 
and I can put it out like you know we'll have a kind of profit record profit making year uh, we'll have new people in the team we'll grow I plan to explore passions more so yeah it's, it's a it's a good place to be it's, it's it's oddly enough probably something I prayed for four years ago that I can't remember mm-hmm. but but you know as I believe it, I think God's like all right here's an answer go on. go and go have fun and I'm yeah. like oh, thanks God <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at right now so Mike, I just like to bookend these conversations on what I like to give the audience a wee bit of value. And so that usually comes down to the biggest lesson that you think people don't know that you've experienced in your life. What do you think that would be, whether it's business, personally, it's different for everyone. And it's always quite interesting. Mm. Right, let me think about that. Another way to make it easier is imagine some 16, 17-year-old came up to you and you were mentoring him. What's like the first piece of advice you'd give him? Um, okay, so this is what's currently on my, on my mind. I think I thought about it just two days ago. Um, I think we all have this thought or this idea or this suspicion that the whole world's watching us. And the truth is, they're not. (laughs) What I mean by that is, everyone thinks everyone's watching them, Mm. but no one's, people have so much stuff going on in their lives that to think people are obsessing over you and watching your mistakes and watching your successes, it's this kind of center of attention thing we have where we kind of go on our story and we swipe up like a thousand six hundred have watched me and you think they're all staring at you and then sometimes they just left their stories on and they just skip through you sometimes they were it was on whilst they're talking to their friend realizing that everyone isn't obsessing over you and watching your mistakes and making note of things can really free you up right to live the life you want to live not the one you think people watching would approve and love and like and it's a mental thing, you know, when you, cause you get older, you realize that everyone's doing their own thing. Everyone's busy, everyone's stressed, everyone's trying to make money, everyone's trying to balance family. Like everyone's got stuff going on. So to think that they all pause to just watch you is like, no, they don't. So don't live a life or don't construct a life that's good for, for people watching. Uh, construct a life that you genuinely like living as in you're happy in your skin, you enjoy it, you're free in your skin. That's gonna bring you ultimate satisfaction, but also that's more consistent with the truth, which Mm. is that people may stop and take a look once in a while, but they're not obsessing over you. No one is. And um, and I think uh, uh, sometimes thinking that people are leads us down just odd places where we make stupid decisions and we we, you know, you 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 get a job because you think everyone will think this is a fitting job for someone who got a first class degree. But then when you suffer in that job for nine years and no one cares anymore, you're kind of like, what have I done? <laughs> yeah. You know, don't make that mistake of, 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 of making decisions because you think everyone's obsessing over you. Live a life that you can genuinely, uh, you know, enjoy and, and, and be proud that you're living. I mean, that's, I mean, that's not only has that set me up for the day, but that is a literal bookend circling back <laughs> to before when we were talking about choosing your own path. So Mike, for 
those listening, if anyone wants to find you, find the Common Sense Network, see what you're working on. Can you please tell them? Yeah, just just my common E or MT common E on Google. Google knows everything. Google knows you're listening to this. Google knows you're gonna you're about to type my name in. You're gonna type M. They'll be like my common E. And I'm joking. Yeah, just 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 my common E online. If you want to connect with me. Um, I think my website has a lot of projects I work on, so you can navigate through that. Or you can, you know, if you're interested in the Commons Network, you know, tcsnetwork.co.uk um, or, or the Commons Network, you can go to join.tcsnetwork.co.uk and that way you can be a part of what we do. But yeah, these days, Google is just, you know, yeah. it's, it's- But all the content's on YouTube, every, on yeah, Instagram you know, pages. You'll, you'll, you'll find me somewhere yeah. kind of situation, right? Um, all the links will be in the episode description as well. Literally. So yeah. It's so interesting. and like ending uh sorry promo because back in the days you know i used to kind of read out all my um all my socials so like the name of my socials on all the different channels then just realized who really is at the end going i'm just gonna wait so i can hear what he's linked in this is gonna, this is gonna type in on google aren't yeah, they, right yeah so i always find that quite interesting well people that, nothing against listeners people can be quite lazy they quite they just want the link reckon? to click on yeah people sometimes just want oh that was interesting tap on yeah some people won't close their Spotify app, their Apple app, and then go on to their Chrome app and then type it all Fair in enough. and stuff. But, so, I, but I always find that people, I mean, even this comes down to how, so I know this is probably open up a new topic, <laughs> but this comes down to even how like, you know, people read out articles. So I remember there was a time I was obsessing over the website and how it looks. And I was working on the assumption that people go on the website and search for articles. It was like, no, they don't. They see it on Twitter or they see it on whatever, they click on it and they read it and then they go. That's typically how the kind yeah. of user journey works. Not that they they go, hmm, I wonder what's in on the internet about you know, that people that can do that. But that's that's something else. I just find that quite. But that's why I like to give the easy access. Yeah, as minimal roadblocks as possible, make, make it easy. easy. That wasn't a judgment on the audience. Then the episode on it was just general <laughs> human behavior on the internet. Yeah. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining me. This was great. Super enjoyable. That was great. Cheers. And there you go, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I mentioned at the start, I just love Mike's insight on things, his thoughts. And for me, and I hope for you, it was really, really interesting about it. was really, really interesting hearing about his life experience. Like I said at the start, if you loved the episode, please on Spotify, iTunes, whatever you're listening, please do leave a review. You can find the content on the Story Club podcast on Instagram. Thank you for listening and we will be back with another episode next week.